Today, uh, we're going to dig a little deeper into uh, the story that you heard our fifth graders read. I love that it's like a rite of passage for our fifth graders to do it part of our service and to think that, man, some of those kids uh, in the 10 years of Christ community, they've grown up right before us. Y'all are awesome. And you're getting ready to, to jump into student ministry with us, and, and we're so excited for that. So uh, they've read that story. And if you want to follow along with the sermon, we're, our notes are going to be in the Bible app. Uh, you can find it on there or flip over to Luke chapter 2. Uh, while you're doing that, I do want to let you know, uh, we also want to be in prayer for our worship leader, Megan Adams. Um, she's unable to be here with us this morning because they got a call this week that her mother was uh, hospitalized unexpectedly, and uh, they think possibly some strokes, and uh, she, is, she is not in good health. And uh, so Megan and Ryan uh, and Henry are unable to be with us this morning. Uh, thank Chris for stepping in, but we want to certainly be in prayer for them as they, uh, as they minister to their family and love on one another. So uh, I want to pray for us and for our time in the Word, uh, and then we'll jump in, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of Christmas. Thank you for the freedom um, to, to come to a place like this and speak Jesus' name openly, uh, to not have to pull our curtains to shoot a video, to not have to think about the words that we say uh, because somebody might be trying to get us. We thank you for that freedom. We thank you also for the love of Christ that we celebrate here at Christmas. The fact that you came, God, like you made yourself a man. You came to show us love and forgive us of our sins. And so may we celebrate that well this morning. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Can you remember a Christmas gift that you really wanted to get? You were so excited to get but then as soon as you got it, it was almost like you were afraid to actually use it. Or you were afraid to actually get it out of the box and start to play with it, whatever it was. Can you think of a gift like that? I remember one Christmas, I think I was late elementary, maybe middle school age, and the one thing that I wanted for Christmas was the board game Risk. Do we have any Risk fans out there? A few, a few. Uh, if not, you should be. It's amazing. So this is the Risk game, right? Uh, Here's some things you'll notice about risk. It's about world domination, which I'm all for. Let's just dominate the world. Uh, it also has a ton of cards and a ton of little pieces. And so I was the oldest of four boys, as many of you know. And I remember that was the one thing I wanted for Christmas. It was one of those Christmases that if I didn't get risk, I was going to be really disappointed. And sure enough, Christmas morning came. I get risk. I open it up and I'm faced with this huge conundrum. I can play risk, but that requires me to involve my little brothers who have no respect for the many little pieces and cards that come with risk. And so I could play risk and enjoy this thing that I've been looking forward to and risk the fact that the game might be ruined forever after one time or I can leave it in the box. I was faced with a tough choice. Would I take a chance and let my brothers actually touch the pieces and play, or would my fear that they would mess it up keep me from enjoying the gift that I had just received? You know, the same tension that I faced that Christmas is the same tension that I believe is something many of us experience in all kinds of things in life. We're so excited for the things that we have, for the opportunities that we get, for the things that we could do, 
But underneath all that, there's this fear that we might mess it up. There's this fear that something is going to go wrong. You know, in life, fear causes us to run. And when we run, we miss out on all the fun. As we think about this Christmas story, today we're going to think specifically about the shepherds. We're going to think about what their experience was on this first Christmas. In verses 8 and 9, we jump into the shepherd's story, and we find that they're facing this incredible fear. It says, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Now, let's transport ourselves back to this time for just a minute. They're out in the fields keeping watch at night. There are no security lights. There are no flashlights. It's incredibly dark. And they are away from much of civilization. And so in that moment, in utter darkness with no security, no lights, no flashlights, hanging out in some deserty field with some sheep, there's a light, a really bright light. Verse 9 says this, The angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. They were terrified. You know, I get scared when a light flashes outside my bedroom window. So, like, forget it if an angel just pops up in my face in utter darkness while I'm out hanging out with some sheep. This was a scary moment. And if the shepherds had had somewhere to run, I feel like they probably would have. Now, fortunate for us, we learned that the shepherds don't run. They might not have run, but in, in life and in the Bible, I think there are many times where when people are afraid, they do run. There was this guy named Adam. He was related to a lady named Eve. You may remember him. He ran from his sin. That was something that he ran from. And I think that most of us, all of us, do that from time to time. In Genesis 3.10, we read a little bit about his running, his story. He says, Adam said, I heard you in the garden, talking to God. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. You know, we've all got a little Adam in us, don't we? We make a mistake, and we'd rather find a way to hide than own it. We'd rather just slip into the crowd than admit that we were the one that messed it up. Shame gets the best of us all the time, day in and day out. We're always looking for a way to work around our mistakes. And even if no one knows about our sin, even if no one really knows the mistake that we made, we know it. And that eats us alive. You know, sin does that to us, just like it did to Adam and Eve. Our mistakes, the things in our life that don't please God, even if no one else knows them, they create this fear, this fear that causes us to run. It causes us to run. And while we're running from the effects of our sin, we miss out on all the fun of enjoying the gifts and the blessings that God has given to us. That's why some of us go to the other end of the spectrum. Instead of running from our sins, some of us run from using the gifts that God has given to us. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is telling a parable to teach his, his people. And he tells a story of a man who, who trusted three different people, a master who trusted three servants with different amounts of money, of talents, the scripture calls them. And one guy got five talents and he took those five talents, invested them, and brought back five more. Another guy got two, and he invested them and brought back two more. And then there was this guy that got one. The guy who got one responded to the master like this. He said, the man who received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. He goes on in verse 25. 
So I was afraid. And I went off, and I hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Well, when this man said this to the master, the master wasn't pleased. Fear causes us to run. Sometimes we're running from our sin, but sometimes we're running from using the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God has given to us. You see, before we think this guy who had one talent is silly for burying it in the ground and bringing it back, let's think about how we often approach our lives. In our head is this narrative, I just don't want to mess this up, so I'll stay out of the way, or I'll exclude myself. We compare ourselves to others, and and after thinking that we don't have as much to offer as someone else, our fear tells us to not even try. Just don't try. It's safer that way. And we listen to our fear. There's sin in our life that we know isn't right. It begins to affect us, and we believe the lie that we're disqualified from enjoying the gifts that God has given to us. We begin to hear the lie, we don't deserve it. Sometimes we run from our sin. Sometimes we run by not using the gifts that God has given to us. Our fears cause us to run. And we don't realize that as we run from our fears, we're also running away from God. We're running away from God. And that's a scary thing. Isaiah 59.2 tells us what can happen when that distance is created. It says, but your iniquities are separating you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. Today, if, there, if there's a fear, if there's a fear that's deep down, maybe you're the only one that knows it, or maybe it's right at the top of the surface. I don't know your story, but if there's a fear that's causing you to run, it's causing you to question, it's causing you to avoid your sin, if you know that you're separated from God, the Christmas story matters more than ever to you today. You pick up the shepherd's story in verse 10. Shepherds are terrified by this bright light, and the angels calm their fears, and they announce some really good and at the same time really strange news. Read with me verse 10 and following. It says, But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude, the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Can we just get this out there? We've said this a thousand times. We've read it at Christmas. We've heard people say it, but this is a really confusing message. Like, this is really confusing. The Messiah, your Savior, has come. He's God's Son, and he's actually this little baby laying out an animal feeding trough just inside the town gate here in Bethlehem. That's what the shepherds are hearing, right? And, and then if that's not enough, like, the one angel turns into a whole bunch of angels, and they're singing this song about this little baby. Like, that's really confusing, and they're like, no, 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 actually, this is really good news for everybody. In fact, we're so impressed with, God is, with what God is doing. Like, we're just going to keep singing his praises. And you're like, huh? Really? What? This is good news? I would imagine that the shepherds were confused, but it's, it's kind of confusing as to why shepherds are even in the story. Like, why shepherds? 
Why shepherds, God? Why did they get to hear this incredible story first? They had every reason, you see, to be afraid of the good news. But the love of Christ completely wiped out those fears. You see, when Jesus came, when he came near, his love cast out fear. When we think about the story of Christmas, it would make sense to proclaim Christ's arrival to those who had the ability and the authority, the popularity to spread the news throughout the world. But God didn't do that. He chose to entrust this magnificent news to a group of shepherds with no social standing and no voice in the community. Why did he do this? Shepherds were, were some of the most unlovable people in the world at the time. First of all, they stunk. Like literally stunk. If you grew up on a sheep farm like me, you know that this lanolin oil in the sheep's wool stinks. It's nasty. It's gross. And these guys would have smelled like that. Second, these guys were outsiders. In a world that's built around little towns and villages, they're spending their nights out in the middle of darkness in some desert. They're, they're, they're just out on their own. They're loners. They're probably a bit backwards. They're socially awkward. But even religiously, these guys were hard to love. These were the people that society looked at and said, you don't spend time around them. Those are the shepherds. Steer clear of the shepherds. Because you see, in the Jewish religion, tons of sacrifices had to be made to be ceremonial, ceremonially clean or acceptable. And these guys weren't afforded the opportunity to go and make those sacrifices because they had to be out in the field with the sheep. Society had no respect for shepherds. They deserved nothing in their minds. Society said they were too far gone. They said they were completely separated from God. And so knowing these things, imagine what the shepherds are thinking. When the angels say to them, I bring you good news. I bring you good news of great joy. That the Savior, the Messiah, the one who is coming to, to free you from your sins is laying in a manger right over there. I imagine that they'd be thinking something like this. I would be embarrassed if the Savior saw me. I stink. I haven't been to make the proper sacrifices. I'm afraid to go see Jesus. I'm not ready. I'm not good enough. No one thinks anything of me. And yet, God sends this special messenger to them to personally announce the good news that love had come in the form of Jesus. And because Christ came near, love cast out their fear. You know, if the love of Jesus Christ could cast out the fear of these dirty, worthless shepherds, it could transform anyone, even you. I love the way that Paul says this in 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was his purpose for coming at Christmas, to save sinners. And then Paul says, and I'm the worst of them. I'm a dirty, worthless sinner. I learned the story of a man named Casey Diaz this week. Got a picture of Casey. Casey uh, was a gang leader. He was a gang leader. And uh, I'm going to read part of his story in his own words. He says, in prison, I was a shot caller. Shot callers have an elevated rank in the gang world. They are the power brokers who determine who gets hurt 
And who doesn't? They command respect. He says, I started down this path as a teenager in South Central LA, as a leader in the Rockwood Street Locos. I led the way when we invaded homes, broke into cars, ransacked convenience stores, and stabbed rival gang members. It didn't take me long to figure out that streets were bloody. And most of the time, it was kill or be killed. Eventually, the LAPD caught up with me. I was sentenced to nearly 13 years for second-degree murder, along with 52 counts of armed robbery. I actually breathed a sigh of relief that those were the only charges the cops could pin on me. Well, when Casey was moved to a new prison, his reputation went before him. He was so powerful, so terrible, that when he was moved to this new prison, he was automatically put in solitary confinement, an 8 by 10 room with one constant light, and he sat in there for days on end. He continues his story by writing this. One time I was lying on my bed listening to the voices outside, and I heard an older woman say, Is there someone in that cell? Says she sounded southern and spoke with a syrupy drawl. Yes, ma'am, the guard said, but you don't want to deal with Diaz. You're wasting your time. Well, she answered, Jesus came for him too. She approached the cell. Young man, can I speak with you? And looking through the open slot in my gate, I couldn't see anything except for the guard's boots and a pair of spindly legs. How are you doing? She asked. I couldn't be better, came my sarcastic reply. Young man, she said, I'm going to pray for you, but there's something else I want to tell you. Jesus is going to use you. He said, by now I was certain she was crazy. Couldn't she see I was locked away in solitary confinement? He said, I told her, I don't think that's going to happen. But she persisted, young man, every time I'm here, I'm going to come by and remind you that Jesus is going to use you. And she did just that. Around a year later, Casey recalls his experience as a daydream turned into an encounter with God. He was laying in solitary confinement, daydreaming, and as he rolled over, he said, I saw on the wall across from me a bearded man with long hair carrying a cross. And as he trudged along, a mob of angry people shouted at him. And when he arrived on top of a knoll, rough-looking men nailed his hands and feet to the wooden beams and raised the cross so it stood between two other men on crosses. He said, what got to me most was when this man looked at me and said, Darwin, I'm doing this for you. He said, I shuddered because apart from the guards and my family, no one knew my real name. Everyone called me Casey, my nickname for as long as I could remember. And then I heard the sound of breath leaving him. At that moment, I knew he had died. And that's when I hit the floor in the middle of the cell. I started weeping because I knew somehow that this was the Almighty God, even though I didn't understand what he had done for me. And so after hitting the floor, I knew I had to get on my knees. I started confessing my sins. God, I'm sorry for stabbing so many people. God, I'm sorry I robbed so many families. And with each new confession, I felt another weight come off my shoulders. And when I finished, I knew something major had happened. When Christ came near, love cast out fear. That was the experience of Casey Diaz that day. He became a follower of Christ right there. He became a follower of Christ because God met him in solitary confinement. He came near in the most unlikely of places. He showed him the incredible love of Christ on the cross, paying for his sins. And that kind of love cast out Casey Diaz's fear. In fact, over the coming months, he would be returned to the regular population. And as he let his uh, former gang members know that he was now a Christian, they began to beat him, which he endured without fear. 
Today, he's a husband, a father, and a part-time pastor at his local church. When Christ comes near, when you encounter the living God, love, his love, casts out the fear that so often dictates the way that we live our lives. Jesus came to earth to do a lot of things, but his priority was saving sinners like you and me, drawing near to those of us who are weighed down by the effects of our sin. And for the shepherds, Christ had just left heaven and come to earth. God had never been closer for them than he was right here in this moment. And so they decided, what do we have to lose? We've got to go take a look. And when they saw him, they couldn't help but tell people. Today, my challenge to you is to do the same. Go see Jesus, then speak his story. Go see Jesus, then speak his story. Look at verse 15 and 16 with me. It says, When the angels had left them, that's the shepherds, and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. He continues in verse 16. They're, they're, they're hurrying. They hurried off. And they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Verse 15 and 16 tell us that the shepherds decided to go and quick. They wanted to see Jesus. Today, today, if you have never been close to Jesus, if fear dictates the way that you live, if you go from one day to the next to the next, hoping that things are going to be okay and not knowing that you have hope in Christ, draw near to Jesus. Go see Jesus, just like the shepherds did on that first Christmas. You say, Blake, how do I do this? Like, I'm not a shepherd back in Bible times. I can't just run over to the stable and check out the baby. How do I do this? We see when Jesus left earth and went back to heaven to prepare a place for us, he sent the Holy Spirit in his place. And this spirit is God, and he gives us access to God. James 4.8 says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You see, this is possible now that we have the Spirit. When we chase after God, He meets us. When God begins to draw me to Himself, when God begins to do that in your life, when you begin to sense that God is calling you to, to come and follow Him, the problem of your will comes in immediately. Will I react positively to the truth that God has revealed? Will I come to Him as He has come to me? For some of you today, you've never had a relationship with God. And I want to ask you to consider to change, changing that today. Here in just a few minutes, the band will come back. And if you've never had a relationship with God, some of our leaders will be in the back. And we'd love to pray with you. Like you can come up during the song, come back there and just say to us, man, I want to draw near to God. I don't even know what that looks like, but I want to draw near to God because I know he has come to me. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, and we'll take it one step at a time from there. For others of you, you walk with God daily. You walk with God daily. You see him working in your life and in the lives of those around you. But do you ever tell anyone the amazing things that you see? Do you ever speak the words of Jesus' story? You know, when the shepherds had gone to see Jesus and realized that he was the truth, he was the way, he was the life, they began sharing his story. They couldn't help it. They had to tell those that they were around. One pastor challenged uh, our fear of actually sharing the good news with words by tweeting this. 
Relational evangelism, in other words, the idea that we can win someone to Christ just by relating to them and becoming their friend. Relational evangelism only works if the gospel is actually shared. Otherwise, we're just friending someone all the way to hell. Go see Jesus, then share his story. Romans 10.17 says this to those of us who are walking with God. Faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. We can be great friends and be completely unloving if we never share the story of Christ. If there's someone in your life that you've been a great friend to that doesn't know Jesus, the most loving thing you can do isn't to make them food or to serve them or to help them be a better person. The most loving thing you can do is share the good news that Jesus came near and explain how his love cast out their fear. That by dying on the cross, he made a way for every broken thing to be made right through the power of God himself. That's love, and it's worth sharing. The thing that I love about the end of the shepherd's story is that things were different when the shepherds got back. Things were different when they got back. And the question is, will you be different because of your time with Christ today? Verse 20, it says the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Just a few verses ago, the shepherds are looking up in the sky as these angels are singing about this God that they'd never met. And now that they had encountered Christ himself, they returned. They returned and did the same. They didn't become celebrities because they'd seen Jesus, but life was different. They were still watching sheep out in some desert field, but life was different. You know, the same is true for us. When we leave this place, we'll return. We'll return to our daily lives or our routines. We'll return to the roles that we play outside of this place. But the question remains... Will you be different because you encountered Christ? When you return to the flow of everyday life, will life be different because you've been with him? How will you respond? As the band comes back up, every week at Christ Community, we take time to, to respond to the good news of the gospel. It's important. It's important. Several ways that we can do that today. The question is, how will you respond? I've already uh, invited, and I would invite again, those of you that don't know Christ, Christmas is all about Christ coming to us and inviting us to draw near to him. If you need to do that, like I said, myself and the leaders will be in the back, come back there and say, man, I want to I draw near to Christ. I want to know what that relationship looks like. Secondly, if you're a baptized believer today, we invite you to take part in communion. Here at Christ Community, uh, as we sing, you can come forward, take a piece of the bread that's served to you, and dip it in the juice. And we do that to remember what Christ did for us on the cross. That he was crucified to pay for our sins. It's a weekly reminder that Christ came near to cast out our fear. And so as we take it this morning as a church family, we can know that fear doesn't have to rule our lives, but that we can love by sharing Christ's story. Perhaps today the Spirit has burdened you with someone you love, but that you haven't loved enough to share Jesus with. If that's you and, and the Lord's bringing someone to mind, I'm going to ask that you would respond this way. Respond by praying for that person this morning.
Before you get up, before you move, before you sing, take a moment to pray for that, that person, that Jesus would call them to himself, and that he would give you the courage to take the opportunity to speak to them. Another way that we respond is through giving. This morning is a special opportunity to give, as we talked about at the beginning of the sermon. We're giving both through our regular offering and through supporting the mission uh, of uh, missionaries all over the world, like Mark. You can give that in the cans in the back. Uh, and if you want to give to Lottie Moon, just note that on your check or whatever, Lottie Moon, uh, L-O-T-T-I-E, Moon. Got this. Will you be different? Will you be different? The shepherds returned, still shepherds, but radically changed. This morning we can go through the motions. We can do the things that we usually do. We can walk out of this place. And the question remains, will you be different? The love of Christ came near, so you don't have to be afraid of what different looks like. So I've just humbly asked that as we interact with God, as we worship him, there's going to be things about it that don't make any sense. There were things about that first Christmas that didn't make any sense. But as we draw near to Christ, his love casts out all those fears. We pray for us as we respond today. Jesus, we are so incredibly grateful that we have this Christmas season to celebrate your drawing near to us. We don't know, man, we don't know what it is to, uh, we don't know what it is to love without the way that you've loved us. And so, Father, um, as we uh, worship you this morning, as we respond to what you've done for us, I pray, God, that you would use your spirit to give us the confidence to step out, to do what you have called us to do, to be different because Christ loved us so much. Worthless sinners. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for teaching us love. Help us to love one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.